Got my brother Lasmore's newest content. This one is uh, 18 minutes and 22 seconds.
Babies are outside. Can hear them barking. Got Professor Black Truth's newest content. Moment of truth. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. From the outset, I want to warn people that I'm going to make a bold, if not inflammatory, assertion later in this morning's briefing. I'll be sure to give you a fair warning before I say it, but I think it's an idea that needs to be expressed. Now, before you can erase a people, the first thing you have to do is to erase their reputation. You have to either claim that everything they ever did was bad or that everything they ever did was actually done by someone else. You have to make it clear that that group has no value. They are valueless. They've contributed nothing. And that other people did things because this group was incapable of doing it themselves. For several months now, Brother Tariq's been fighting the good fight to combat and correct the lies being told about the origins of hip-hop. Due to how influential and globe-spanning and just how revolutionary hip-hop has been, there's been a lot of folks, many of them non-black, who have actually tried to lay claim to it. It may seem trivial to some non-thinking people to stand up for what it is that black people in this country have created, but it's no small thing at all. Now, Tariq has said that he's been working on a documentary about the origins of hip-hop so that there would finally be a definitive and accurate accounting of this unique FBA art form and that it would finally be documented that hip-hop was not the invention of immigrants or of white people, I think that should go without saying, that it was the sole creation of black Americans, specifically black people who came out of slavery in this country. And on cue, we now have the immigrant tether, Joy Reid, who the white media is sending in to do counter-programming against this black media pushback. Joy Reid has announced that she's gonna start her own so-called blog series on hip-hop that she's calling Hip-hop is universal. 50 years ago this very month, a couple of teenagers threw a back-to-school party in the Bronx with music provided by DJ Cool Herc. That event turned out to be the birth of one of the biggest and most influential music genres of all time, hip-hop. And we at the Read Hour are celebrating this anniversary with a new digital series called Hip-Hop is Universal to dive into how hip-hop has influenced not just today's music, but everything from our culture and our fashion, even our politics. Joining me now to explain is the Readout Blog's very own Jahan Jones. Jahan, it is good to see you. Uh, tell us what you got going. Uh, what do you have coming up uh, on this amazing news This speaks to how hip-hop really does reach all kinds of people. It began as an art form that was devised by disadvantaged Black and Latinos in the Bronx, and it has burgeoned far beyond that. And as I say in the article, uh, it has become an art form that a lot of people want to cling to, a lot of people want to pick from. And, you know, even a lot of people who are not Black, who are not Latino, have been able to water it in their own right as well. And so this is just an opportunity for us here at The Readout to celebrate the legacy of hip-hop. Well, with a title like that, they're not even being subtle about it. Why not just call it hip-hop? It's for everyone. Because that's what Joy Reid's doing. I mean, you can tell some white folks put those words in her mouth and told her to say that. See, FBA people are attacked all over the world. We are a persecuted people, the only persecuted people on earth. Oh, and just for the record, that's not the bold inflammatory statement that I'm going to be making. That comes later, just to give you some idea of the fire that's about to drop. Everyone loves to join in on attacking us and denigrating us and saying that black people are the problem. Black Americans are the problem, and yet these exact same people love to pounce on every single thing that we create, and before you know it, 
They're claiming that they made it or that they somehow had something to do with it. When other groups make something or introduce something, that's always regarded as their thing. They're allowed to have cultural proprietorship over it. But every single time that black Americans, specifically FBA, makes something, everyone's able to lay claim to it. It's community property. All of a sudden, there is no originator of it. Even if there is, well, that doesn't matter. It should belong to everyone. They hate the creators, but they absolutely adore what we create. That doesn't make sense, and we're not going to allow it. This is Joy Reid trying to sneak in tethers by the side door and to bestow legitimacy on herself. That's what this is really about. And it's not hard to see the hand of the white media behind this. Since the dominant society doesn't have an actual claim to having started hip-hop, what we have is their white media trying to use their own massive platform to bestow legitimacy on the idea that, well, those FBI people, they didn't create hip-hop either. This is how you miseducate the public. Tethers are a very important part of maintaining white supremacy because they are the black faces who will claim to be part of the black community, and yet every word out of their duplicitous mouths repeats and argues every one of white power's lies. And the white supremacists will point to their tether operatives and claim that they must be telling the truth, because after all, why would our bought and paid for sellouts lie? Hip-hop is not universal. It didn't come from all the world. You don't find versions of hip-hop having originated from all over the planet. You can say that music is universal, but you cannot say that hip-hop is. Because if hip-hop was universal, why was it that these other groups tried to stomp it out of existence? If they had their way, there wouldn't be any black people, and there wouldn't be any hip-hop either. If it was up to these other groups, everything black people have created wouldn't be allowed to exist in society, and neither would we. It was only because we outfought and outthought all these enemies of the black community that we continue to exist and what we create continues to exist. And these other groups are able to culture vulture off of us. We, black Americans who came out of slavery in this country, are the heartbeat and the pulse of American culture and much of the world's culture. I also consider it perversely amusing that we made it a point to name drop Cool Herc and say that some back-to-school party was the birth of hip-hop. Now, I'm not going to get off into the weeds about picking apart the details of that, but let me just go ahead and say one thing that shouldn't be controversial because it's just a basic fact. Cool Herc was not the result of Jamaican culture, because if he was, then there would have been hip-hop all over Jamaica. But there's not, and there wasn't. You can't find it anywhere over there. Meanwhile, in the U.S., you can find all the elements of hip-hop already in existence and already in widespread use long before Cool Herc ever started doing after-school parties. All of the elements and building blocks of hip-hop were already in existence and already widespread throughout the U.S. by black American society long before his folks even got to the U.S. The rhyming, the dancing, floor work, the slang and vernacular, all of it perfected and widely adopted throughout the black community. But you know where it wasn't adopted at? In Jamaica or in Africa. While I don't take away from the work that Cool Herc put in, we have to be bluntly honest. He didn't invent those foundational elements. He jumped on a bandwagon that had already been rolling for decades before his folks even got to the U.S. Now, if you want to call him a hip-hop artist, that's fine. Nobody says that he wasn't. If you want to say that he had been part of the hip-hop scene, that's fine. Nobody says that he wasn't part of the movement. But there's a difference between being part of a movement and being the originator of the movement, which is a lie that Joy Reid's trying to push. It's a lie to claim that Cool Herc was the beginning of it. 
He came along later as part of a cultural and musical movement that had already been in motion several, several years earlier. And by the way, for the sake of argument, even if you want to say that Cool Herc was indeed the undisputed originator of hip hop, cultural movements and art forms almost never have one person who is solely responsible for it. It's usually groups of people and they play off of each other. But let's go ahead and say that he was. That's not why Joy Reid is trying to make this guy an issue. She's using this as a way to piggyback in a larger point that she wants to make, one that has almost nothing to do with hip hop. Joy Reid is deliberately trying to misinform people because for her, this message is about replacing the FBA community and the political disruption that we represent with compliant tethers like herself, who aren't going to cause white power any problems. And they will be allowed to lay claim to our history and to our accomplishments, to our struggle, our culture, and ultimately to our influence and our place and impact in the world. Already you got people like Joy Reid, whose folks didn't get here until the late 60s, talking about the civil rights movement as if they were part of it. Kamala Harris tried that mess too. So did Barack Obama. His father was from Kenya, his mother was from Kansas, neither one of them was involved in civil rights anything. Although some of the people in Barack Obama's family were slave owners, no surprise. But this is what's been happening. We've been having a lot of these black immigrants coming over here, and they've been saying we when talking about the civil rights movement. They've been saying we when talking about fighting for integration. Mistake though it was, we did do it. And when talking about these cultural art forms that we create, they started using the word we. When talking about slavery, they say we. People who didn't get here until dang near 1970 saying we when talking about that. That's what's going on here. This speaks to how hip hop really does reach all kinds of people. It began as an art form that was devised by disadvantaged black and Latinos in the Bronx, and it has burgeoned far beyond that. And as I say in the article, uh, it has become an art form that a lot of people want to cling to, a lot of people want to pick from. And, you know, even a lot of people who are not black, who are not Latino, have been able to water it in their own right as well. They will say hip hop is for everyone, and that's going to open the door for white power to come in and claim that white people created it. Same way that you got white people saying that they created jazz. Because just like with hip hop, white power banned jazz in the beginning. They claimed that it was a passing fad. They demonized those who performed it, claimed that it was tearing down the culture. It had a deleterious and horrible cultural influence because of those Negroes. Everything those Negroes make destroys the culture. White power tried to stomp jazz out of existence. And when that failed, they tried to co-opt it. And they're still trying to legitimize the lie that white people had something to do with the creation of jazz, when in reality, they were the ones who tried to kill it. And with hip hop, we see them rinsing and repeating the same strategy, only this time getting black faces to sell the soap for them. Hip hop is for everyone, including the white supremacists who spent every day of the last 50 years attacking it. MTV didn't even want hip hop to be shown because those racists over there, they didn't like it. So is hip hop for them too? No, it's time for us to start exercising some aggressive cultural proprietorship of our own and start doing some heavy gatekeeping. People won't like that because they've been spending the last 150 years, especially the last 50 or so years, just running roughshod over us. Hell, they don't even have to ask permission to come in and put their hands on whatever it is that we make. They just walk up and do it. Well, they better get used to having to have a hands-off policy now because this is going to be the new normal. We have to stop allowing any and everyone to elbow their way into our party, to gang rape what we create, then leave it on the side of the road for dead because they think that they killed it, 
And just in case their attacks and their bludgeoning and their attempted cultural rape fails to kill what we created, they will then try to co-opt it, which is basically prostituting our culture, putting it on the street corner to be sold to strangers, and they'll try to make a few bucks for themselves off of what we made. That's what they try to do. They try to kill it. If that fails, gang rape it. And if it still doesn't die, we'll see if we can go ahead and put a chain around his neck and put it on the street corner. Tell him make some money for us. People like Joke Reed and the white media propping her up, they don't know anything about us. And truth be told, they have nothing but contempt for us. So it's to their advantage to lie. They want to erase what we've done and put themselves in our place. It's like when you have lies like Rick Rubin, or whatever that clown's name is. Every time a white person talks about the early days of rap music, they always try to shoehorn Rick Rubin into the conversation. They've been doing that mess for so doggone long as a joke. White society is decades behind the black cultural trends. White people find out about things decades after we made it and after we have been refining it and expanding it. With rock and roll, you got people like Jerry Lee Lewis and others and Elvis. They're supposed to be seen as some sort of trendsetters. Black folks had rock and roll long before these white folks even knew that it existed. But when white people tell the story, well, there was a white guy who liked it. So basically, he was one of the founders of rock and roll. They do that mess all the time. It's one of white supremacy's favorite tricks. Now, when it comes time to try to rewrite our history, they claim that whatever we created didn't exist until they discovered it. They always try to do that mess. Year zero starts as soon as these white supremacists see something. Well, it didn't exist until we discovered it. We were there right at the beginning of it. That's the lie that they tell. It didn't exist until they saw it. And how much you want to bet that Joke Reed and her pals will make sure to talk to posers like Buster Rhymes and other immigrants so that they can all say that hip-hop was from Jamaica or some other pack of lies. This is not about telling the story of hip-hop. This is white media counter-programming. And by the way, just for the record, I'm curious if anybody can tell me who the rapper or rappers were at Cool Herc's alleged birth of hip-hop party. I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine hip-hop without a rapper, so does anybody remember who the rappers were who rapped this after-school shindig that he was the DJ for? I'm just asking for a friend. Look, I'm sorry to have to break it to you, but the Cool Herc created hip-hop line, it's largely an urban myth, mostly pushed by white people in the white media who don't know any better and don't care to begin with. Too many times we've allowed our history to be written, or rather rewritten, by everyone else. And then we spend, or rather waste, years, if not decades, trying to clean up the mess afterwards. These attempts to graft a non-FBA identity onto the things that we create, to take the first non-FBA person in the room or on the other side of town and elevate them as the creator of it, this is how these myths take root. But this isn't about actually telling the story of hip-hop. What Joy Reid's doing is trying to forward a lying narrative that black people didn't build America. Immigrants built America. That's the actual narrative she's trying to push. This way, Joy Reid can point at herself and say, I built hip-hop. I built America. This is a cultural appropriation double whammy that she's attempting to pull. First, tell a lie about hip-hop and claim that people who just arrived in the U.S. created it, when not one element of hip-hop existed in the places where these folks came from. And then after that, just repeat it nonstop until people believe it. Why is there this never-ending holy war to erase what we have done? It's because we are the greatest single threat to white supremacy. And those non-white groups who think that they found a comfortable place under it, we threaten all of them. First of all, we are the proof that this country is not a moral nation. It is a moral fraud. It is the evil empire. 
We are the living proof of that, and it's undeniable proof. No immigrant, even immigrants from Africa or the Caribbean, can say that. They can't erase that slavery happened in this country, and the reprehensible racist oppression that we have endured every day ever since. They can't erase the civil rights movement or the countless injustices that we have endured. So instead, what we see is white power bringing in tethers like the William Allen clown down in Florida, who will just outright lie and say slavery wasn't so bad. In fact, it was actually a good thing for black people. And they bring in people like Joy Reid to say that immigrants created all that stuff that you keep attributing to those black folks who came out of slavery in America. Well, actually, all those cultural touchstones that those FBA folks made, it was actually immigrants who did it. So you really don't really need those people from slavery. You just get rid of them all together. I mean, what did they ever contribute? This is about replacing the disobedient and rebellious FBA contingent in this country with a compliant, subservient group of tethers. And then these tethers will lie through their teeth and claim that they were enslaved in the U.S. and that they were the civil rights generation. When most of them, from Obama to Kamala Harris to Joy Reid to Notorious B.I.G. to Buster Rhymes, didn't even get here until after the civil rights movement was over. And the white media will allow them to tell these lies because they won't threaten the status quo like we're doing. This is a racial political operation you're watching take place. You know what sickens me about these tethers and these black immigrants who attack us and try to lay claim to our history? They don't even need to do dirtbag moves like this in the first place. They would be better off if they simply told the truth. By acknowledging what we've done and that they learned from us, they would actually be legitimizing themselves. This is where we get to the really bold, if not inflammatory, assertion that I hinted at earlier. See, the Europeans were the slaves of the Romans. and They had absolutely nothing to do with ancient Greece either. But those northern Europeans who were being enslaved by the Romans and ignored by the Greeks they claim both Greece and Rome as part of their cultural heritage, as part of their cultural history, and even their cultural inheritance. These black immigrants, they ought to be looking at us the same way. Now, I hope you'll forgive the comparison, family. We certainly are not like the Greeks nor the Romans, but bear with me. We are, to these Africans and the Caribbean blacks, what the Greeks and the Romans are to the Europeans, a separate, different people whose cultural accomplishments and ideas laid the path whose footsteps the Africans and the Caribbean people would come to follow. Be it our style of dress, to how to express ideas, we see that they take their cues from us, which they do. Buster Rhymes is not an FBA, neither is Cool Herc or Joy Reid. They can't claim to have broken the chains of slavery. A number of them brag that their ancestors were never slaves. They cannot lay claim to the legal, social, or cultural contributions we made or the unbroken 500-year legacy of resistance to oppression that we represent. They can claim to be the beneficiaries of the things that we did. They can, at most, and I'm being very loose with that word here, they can, at the very most, claim that they're carrying on our cultural legacy in their own way. But what they cannot and will not be allowed to claim is that they were the ones who made what we created, that they were the ones who did what we accomplished. If they were intellectually honest, that's what they would do. And my question to them is, why not? You're already imitating everything that we do, how we dress, how we carry ourselves, the kind of analogies that we make. You guys are doing carbon copies of what we do. What shame is there in admitting that the people who have come to exemplify black identity in the world were your teachers and you take your cues from them, they were your inspiration? What shame is there in black people acknowledging that they were inspired by other black people? These other groups acknowledge who taught them what? 
But when it comes to us, we have the people who we taught, the people who had to learn at our knee, the people who we had to sit them down and give them the game because they didn't have the game. Those people have the nerve to turn around and claim that they taught us. See, this is what happens in the Caribbean and in Africa, places where the backstabbing and the throat cutting are out of control so they don't respect each other. They routinely try to take from one another. Their loyalty system has been completely and thoroughly destroyed. They figure that because it's natural and commonplace to co-op with other people have done over there, then we shouldn't have a problem with it over here either. You take from someone else and then claim that what you took had been yours all along. And that's a huge part of the reason why they don't call this stuff out in their home countries. Because how can you when everybody's doing the exact same thing? No, they have chosen to demonize us and claim that we're the problem and to attribute negativity to anything remotely associated with us. Fine, so be it. We're going to help them out then. If we're really such a bad influence on them, then we're going to make sure they're not allowed near anything that we've made or that we've done. Our historical accomplishments are off limits, and our cultural contributions are also off limits. Now they no longer have to worry about being contaminated by the inferior influence of FBA culture. Because all of these people, including black immigrants, attack us and everything we create, they can all step off, to use a hip-hop phrase. Hip-hop has been embraced around the world. It is a uniquely powerful art form created by us. It's been adopted and used and appropriated by people all over the planet. And these are places that perpetuate and attack black people. Yet they can't resist the chance to use the culture we created. We gave the world an activist vocabulary and blueprint that every group of people resisting oppression have used all over this planet. We did that. Hip-hop is the music of revolution because it appeals to the young. We took hip-hop and did what we've done with every single art form that we have created or been involved in. We made it where hip-hop was subversive. We gave it the raw power of righteous outrage so that it could challenge established power. Classical music doesn't do that. Classical music is the music of the establishment. Country music doesn't do that either. None of the music that these non-FBA groups created has caught on or been so well received or been as consequential to the rest of the world as hip-hop, as what we created. No wonder everyone wants to claim they had something to do with it. But it doesn't stop there. Hip-hop is only part of the larger pattern of FBA accomplishments that everybody else wants to piggyback onto. Everything. And I mean literally everything that people consider to be good or honorable or even remotely decent about the United States was the direct result of our actions. Not immigrants, not even black immigrants were responsible for it. Everything from the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, which created the legal precedent that gave all these other groups, including white women, the right to vote, to the Civil Rights Movement, to the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts, to affirmative action, which was a gravest mistake, helping to lift the immigration restrictions, which was even worse, to say nothing of our cultural contributions like the Harlem Renaissance, all the way to the black exploitation film movement, to hip-hop. All of that and so much more was the result of what we did, not any of these other groups. What we did were not the works of anyone else. It wasn't influenced by anyone else either. They were influenced by us, not the other way around. Black people's activism gave Red Indians in Oklahoma all kinds of legal rights. They were incapable of getting on their own, and they have been racist as hell towards black people, yet no one in their community has said do about it. Without FBA folks, you don't get a Gordon Parks or a Spike Lee. And without them, you don't have a Robert Rodriguez or any of these Asian filmmakers. 
Hell, they invoke us every time they want something. When we do something, everyone else is able to benefit from it because we are trailblazers. We're the only trailblazers this country has ever had. Everyone else has had to wait until we did something before they finally had a model that they could use. Though usually they just went ahead and walked the path that we blazed because our creativity and ingenuity is unmatched. Hearing this reality eats a lot of people alive. Tethers and culture vultures are reminded how puny and unimportant their own contributions were compared to the colossal, unprecedented, and still unsurpassed magnificence of the FBA community's accomplishments. Let's not forget when these black immigrants come to the U.S., their families say to stay away from us. They come over here and do everything they can to fit in with a dominant society, wearing poindexter, corny clothing, trying to show that they're on team suburbia. And then when their would-be white suburban pals spit in their faces, they suddenly want to reinvent themselves as being one of us. Akon's raggedy behind has been one of the worst offenders in this regard. So while Joke Reed is busy doing blog posts trying to rewrite history, we're going to make sure that the real record is left pristine. We created hip-hop. We created every single component that went into it. We gave birth to it. We nurtured it. We innovated it. We established every forward step the art form has ever taken. Everyone else had to wait for us to do something. Then they would come along later with their own pale imitations of it. For us, hip-hop is culture, because it is. It's ours. It's part of who we are. It came from us. It was an expression of our own uniqueness. For all these other groups, however, including black immigrants, hip-hop's just a money-making opportunity for them. The point is for it to be exploited and strip-mined and then left for dead when they can't get anything else out of it. Though for a lot of white teenagers, it represents a way to annoy their parents, or a way for them to feel like they're part of something uniquely American something undeniably from the new world. So how does someone find a way to talk around this monumental and undeniable record of accomplishment? How do liars and fraudsters try to shoehorn themselves into a record they had nothing to do with? Lie, and lie big, and lie constantly. Try to drown out the black truth with white noise. There's a reason that hip hop came from the black community of the United States, that it came from the soil, because it was the only place that it could come from. Cool Herc made a name for himself here, yes, and he could only have done that when he was around us, the same way that another Jamaican, Marcus Garvey, was only able to get things popping when he was around us. Simply put, and I don't care who this offends, being around us elevates the brothers and sisters from the diaspora. Coming around us is how they raise their game. That's not a diss, it's a fact. And if you're from Africa or the Caribbean and that bruises your ego to hear it, why is it then that if white people say immigrants could only have the opportunities they have in America, you don't have a problem with that? Oh, if somebody tells you that you had white society who helped you up your game, you'd be all over that. And see, I am part of the great American experiment. You'd be fine with that. You'd beam and strut when white society says they gave you a chance to do something. But when it comes to the people who actually fought the battles, literally, and who bled and died for the laws and social changes and policy changes that made it possible for you to even come to the U.S., much less for you to exercise any opportunities, all of a sudden you want to turn your nose up at that? Too many Negroes come to the U.S. and begin taking on the attitudes and behaviors of the dominant society, complete with culture vulture. So let it be known, we do give credit where it's due, but we only give it to a truth, not a fault. Good day and be one.
I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Moshe Ben Abraham, Frederica Moore, Brian Walton, Jasmine B, and Mike Hughes. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Okay, y'all. The police chief down in Montgomery just made an announcement, and this announcement was regarding three arrest warrants that have been issued. So one person they already got in custody, and two others are supposed to turn themselves in. These are all three white males by the way, and some of them already had outstanding warrants, okay? So let's get into the story. So arrest warrants have been issued for three men involved in the chaotic brawl at the Riverfront Dock in Montgomery, Alabama on Saturday. That was captured on video and involved in an array of punches, a chair to the head and several people in the water. The fight stemmed from a dispute over a dockside parking spot at Riverfront Park between the crew of a large riverboat and the owners of a small private boat. This is according to the police chief of Montgomery, Daryl J. Albert. This is what he said at a Tuesday press conference. So, I'm going to go ahead and play the video, and I'll be right back with the rest of my commentary. The suspects thus far have been identified as Richard Roberts, white male, 48 years old, with two outstanding warrants for assault, third degree. Alan Todd, white male, 23 years old, one warrant for assault, third degree. And Zachary Shipman, white male, 25 years old, uh, one warrant for assault, third degree. We have instructed those individuals to turn themselves into law enforcement. And as uh, at this time, uh, one is secured and in custody. The other two are set to turn themselves in within the next hour. We're also asking for Mr. Reggie Gray, black male, 42 years old, who was seen wielding that folding chair to contact the Montgomery Police Department for further interviews and as part of this investigation. As the mayor said a minute ago, this investigation is ongoing and more charges are like. Okay, y'all, you heard the video. You know, this should be listed as one of America's places to be. So down there in Montgomery, in the riverfront, in front of the Harry. So you heard the police announce the charges for three white males, Richard Roberts, 48 years old, two counts of third degree assault, Alan Todd, 23 years old, Zachary Shipman, 25 years old. Each have been charged with uh, one count Albert said that the chief described the three as white men 
who were in connection of the private boat. So, I mean, just imagine if they would not have parked where the commercial boats were, none of this would have happened. It could have all been avoided. And then when they were told to move, they took offense to it and then jumped the security guard that was only trying to do their job. So one of these males have already surrendered and they are in custody. Two expected to turn themselves in. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, 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 the fight largely broke down along racial lines in the city. And that is the truth. That is the truth. So investigators looked into whether it was enough evidence to charge for a hate crime or inciting a riot, but the actions did not meet the criteria. This is according to the police chief. It should have, you know, especially all of the ones that jumped on that security guard just for doing his job, telling them to move that pontoon boat that they had parked there. You know, I don't see how you can't charge for hate crime. All right, it, it had to be about six, seven of them on one black man. So the police chief is also asking, and we, we call him the chairman, the one that was swinging the folding chair, to contact police for further questioning. All right, so he did not announce a warrant for the chairman. Not so far, but you know, the GoFundMe is still out there, y'all. So the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency in Montgomery District Attorney's Office and local FBI were all consulted on the charges according to Albert. And all 13 people were detained, questioned for several hours on Saturday before being released. So everybody that they apprehended on Saturday was released. Now, you notice how good the policing was down there? Nobody got shot. No one got tased. There's no cops screaming they feared for their life. There's no police standing at the podium pandering and shuffling and jiving and making stuff up about the cop that did something wrong. You don't see none of that happening. All right? And then you don't see the cops go overboard, running to get the canines, running with riot gear on, making a big grand finale out of it. You notice those cops didn't do that? They didn't do none of the typical things that we see all the time. All right? Nobody making, uh, grabbing up and apprehending a bunch of innocent people. You didn't see none of that happen like you see on any given day in America with other police departments. You know what? Y'all need to take a page from the Montgomery Police Department because apparently they do decent police work when the rest of you do not. So let's get back to it, y'all. So... 
Crow, you heard what he said. He wants to ensure that the public understands that we put everything that we had into making sure that the right charges were present uh, presented and these folks will face the appropriate charges and their day in court. So Chief Daryl J. Albert, this is how he addressed the media. You know, isn't it nice to see a cop addressing the media without making up excuses for a bunch of unruly cops? You know, because that's what we see from a lot of the other police chiefs. They always making up six oh we are still invested. We gotta investigate ourselves, you know. We're we're gonna investigate ourselves and then come back in two weeks and say we find no wrongdoing. Yeah, see that's how them folks do policing. This really makes you look like a disgrace, for real. So anyway, y'all. The incident began on a Saturday when the Harriet Two River boat carrying 227 passengers was attempting to dock and that area where that pontoon boat they parked there, that is reserved for the river boats. So nobody else can park there at all like them folks did, right? can't park there. So that's how it all got started. And we saw what happened. And if you were on my live stream, you would have seen what happened, you know, along with other very good uh, YouTube channels that broadcast the same video. You know, all of the videos that I have uh, seen out on YouTube, you know, uh, just doing the rounds on each channel are very good. The commentary is very good. The um, people are really putting it out there, and I love it. I love what I'm seeing. I love the energy that people are putting behind the videos that they are showing on this issue. So, y'all. You're going to have to tell me what you think about this latest update and a shout out to True Royal for sending me this video. Please leave your comment and subscribe. Don't forget to hit on the notification bell and I'll see you on the next video. Peace, family.
Donald Trump. So, hey, let me share my screen. Uh, lights up, everyone, please get those lights up. Going to the press conference with so tell so they can miss me with it. I know that's right. Okay, make sure that's on the screen. Okay, there we go. Lay out the facts as we know them now regarding the incident that took place on Saturday, August 5th, 2023, at 7 p.m. Uh, there were several events taking place on our historic river front. Positive feedback regarding a school event hosted by Montgomery Public Schools and Hyundai was taking place at the amphitheater and nearby train shed. The Harriet II River cruise ship was fully operational, operating from a designated docking space along the river. The Harriet takes passengers on two-hour tours up and along the Alabama River throughout the day. On this day, there were 227 passengers aboard that vessel. The incident occurred between the co-captain of the Harriet II vessel and the private Boat owner and his family. As the Harrier attempted to dock in his designated space, designated and reserved due to the gangway access as well as the mooring requirements, the private boat was docked in its space, prohibiting safe docking of the Harrier. The captain of the Harrier remained away from the dock for nearly 40 to 45 minutes as they attempted to contact the operators of the private boat via PA system. They were only responded to without seeing gestures, curse words, and taunting. The co-captain was then picked up by a separate vessel and brought to the pier in an attempt to have a conversation with the private boat owners and or have those boats moved so that the Harriet could dock. A confrontation ensued between the co-captain and Mr. Pickett, the co-captain, being attacked by several members of the private boat. Several members of the Harriet too came to Mr. Pickett's defense, engaging in what we all have seen since on social media. I'll give you a timeline as the way the calls came in and the Montgomery Police Department's response. The original call came in at 7 p.m. as a typical disturbance. The caller, who was the captain of the Harriet, was very calm and not in distress. As additional calls were received, at 7.15 p.m., the call was dispatched to the Montgomery Police Department. 7.18, the first units, four Montgomery Police Department officers arrived on scene, with three shortly thereafter. Thirteen individuals were detained and brought to police headquarters for questioning and interviews. Those interviews lasted several hours. At that time, all parties involved were released pending further investigation but we're all given instructions on how to secure warrants on combatants. We have since consulted with and are continuing to work with the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, our state police agency, the Montgomery's DA's office, and the local office of the FBI. 
This investigation is ongoing and more charges are likely. We encourage the public to continue to send us additional videos or evidence relating to this case. Those can be sent to StarCenter at MontgomeryAL.gov or at our secret witness, 334-625-4000. The victims in this case, the co-captain, Mr. Damian Pickett, black male, and a 16-year-old white male juvenile who was struck by the owners and operators of the private boat. The suspects thus far have been identified as Richard Roberts, white male, 48 years old, with two outstanding warrants for assault, third degree. Alan Todd, white male, 23 years old, one warrant for assault, third degree. And Zachary Shipman, white male, 25 years old, uh, one warrant for assault, third degree. We have instructed those individuals to turn themselves into law enforcement and ask uh, at this time, uh, one is secured and in custody, the other two are set to turn themselves in within the next hour. We're also asking for Mr. Reggie Gray, the black male, 42 years old, who was seen wielding that folding chair to contact the Montgomery Police Department for further interviews and as part of this investigation. Hi, everyone. George he gets attacked by this white dude who was upset. At that point, he takes off his hat 
looks to where his help is coming from and sends out the signal. And you know what we had to do. You got the swimmer, AKA Aquaman. He swam up there to handle his business. He started to do with the folding chair, get busy. He definitely going to jail though. You know what I'm saying? In front of the police, he banked that white lady. Cause it was a bit much, but my favorite part, there's a part of the video where two white dudes run up and try to attack black men from behind. And mind you, this is after they saw the three black dudes skipping towards the fight. They probably get at, yeah, what's good with it now? What you was on now? Come to the dock, come to the dock. They ran up and saw that the threat was too great for them. And they started to retreat. <laughs> they started to retreat. In the black community, we got a rule, run up, get done up. So you ran up, you can't just run up and then expect to calmly walk away like, I right, y'all got it. We don't even know that no more. Y'all already ran up. The run-up had already been initiated, so the done-up had to get commenced. You know what I'm saying? Are you following here? That felt like a scene out of The Lion King. And, but when you run up, you can't just turn around and calmly walk away like you didn't run up. I hope y'all have a good day. Love and light. But we will fight. Amen, Ashe. That's what the fuck I'm talking it was so black ass. It was black ass. Love you. Thank you. Damn. Proud of you. Woo. I've been, I've been going through hell that whole week. The devil been on me all that week. I just had so much frustration on me. So that lady, she just got what she deserved. And when I throw her in the room, it's like, every weight came out of me. I ain't been let nobody I know get hurt. I ain't not in front of me. I don't care who I am, who I'm mad with. I don't care I'm mad with you. But if I know you from the coat, you ain't cold. It ain't gonna be nothing like that. You ain't going down like that. We gonna stick together. We might all the fuck, but when we come from the coat, we gonna stick together. And you ain't had no man put your hands on damn dang. Y'all come way up on sale and down here. Tell me some Trump. Damn Trump. Trump run that thing up in Washington, D.C. But see, Trump got y'all beat down, down in Montgomery. Come down here in Montgomery playing with us, baby. Come down here and you ain't come playing with the right one. You play with the right one from the coat, from the project, with throw hands at y'all. Y'all thought this stuff gonna end. Y'all gonna win, but we're gonna win. Y'all play with my ancestors like that. The slave. I ain't no slave. You ain't gonna come toward me to my washing your wash your clothes, wash your children. Baby, I ain't watching nothing. Y'all ran that candy down here. You came for this smoke. And you got this smoke. And you gonna keep getting this smoke. I don't care, Miss Liz. I don't care if she mad or nothing. I don't give a damn. I'll do it again. You put your hand on them day, I'm gonna come back for you again. I don't care about these white folks on that boat. Come on. Y'all put y'all hands on them. Put y'all ain't saying I'm gonna put, put their hands on them day. Y'all didn't care about him. You ain't even ask nothing about him. You worry about your boat and your job. Baby, you gonna always get a job. One thing about God, he always gonna provide for you. He always gonna give you what you want and what you need. God ain't did nothing but show me what, what was going on. That's how God did. He showed me the whole week. The whole week, I was stressed out that whole week. But I ain't never went on that boat fussing or arguing with none of my co-workers about what my life was going She was on a whole rats, clearly, but she admitted to throwing that woman in that water. <laughs> she confessed to it. Hold on, hold on. Let me send this on here real quick. 
Okay, so there's that. So they're not going to get any hate crime charges. Pay attention. That's what they're not going to get, okay? We already know by now. But anyway, I'm not ready. So I have two more videos. You all are something else. Put your hands on Dana Day. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call the guy who was the, uh, the, the dock worker. Okay, the one that got jumped, his name is Damien. Okay, so I guess that's what they call him, day to day. So anyway, I'm going to show you all two more videos. Hold on. These are the TikToks I literally just did. Hold on. Hello, well, Dr. Abadai. Whoops, wrong one. Not on that story yet. Hold on. Okay, here they go. Hello, I'm Dr. Abadai. Three men have been identified, arrested, and charged for the Montgomery robbery. Let's get into it. So 48-year-old Richard Roberts has been charged with two counts of third-degree assault. Alan Todd, 23 years old, has been charged with one count of third-degree assault. And Zachary Shipman is 25, and he's been charged with one count of third-degree assault. Mind you, all of these are absolute misdemeanors in Alabama. So this is just a slap on the wrist. Now, I do believe that Zachary Shipman is likely the son of Chip, or I'm sorry, Chase Shipman, uh, who actually actually owns uh, the mart, uh, the, the mini mart uh, down in Selma. That that's your smart. Uh, that nobody's likely to be going to anytime soon. Is that situation? A woman who works at the hospital in Selma called into the Breakfast Club, and she basically said that uh, when they all came down there to be treated, they got upset and mad because they saw a bunch of people look like me. And so then they called the police and said, "Hey, we're down at the hospital, and uh, we don't want to be treated because there's a bunch of uh, jiggers here." That's what they said. And so the police told them, supposedly told them, you know, either get treated or leave. Okay, isn't that something you said? I knew they were racist. I, I knew it was just obvious. Doc, um, did that come up with officials today as they were talking about what happened? Oh, it sure did, because the real debate here is whether or not you might be seeing hate crime charges coming racially motivated, uh, I guess, factors that might have played into why these men acted the way that they did. The police chief was asked directly. He did say that we looked, that there were, he hinted at some things that were said that were taunting, that were perhaps inspirited. He didn't specify exactly what they said, what they found in terms of evidence did not match the standards for the FBI for bringing hate crime charges. So you all don't realize that the ancestors absolutely had everything to do with this. I mean, that right there where the riverfront is, and that's actually where they transported slaves, they was transported slaves there and dropped them off, you know, and sell them. And also, the boat, the riverboat's name was Harriet. That's clearly not a coincidence, okay? The police said to you, but I'm not surprised. Because at the end of the day, Malcolm X said this would happen long ago. That there will come time when black people wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, as other humans are intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, then the black man will think like a black man, and he will feel for other black people. And this new thinking and feeling will cause black people to stick together. And then at that point, you'll have a situation where when you attack one black man, you are attacking all black men. And this type of black thinking will cause all black people to stick together. And this type of thinking also will bring an end to the brutality inflicted upon black people by white people. It is the only thing that will bring an end to it. No federal court, state court, or city court 
or bring an end to it. It's something that the black man has to bring an end to himself. At the end of the day, uh, it is a shame that they were only charged with misdemeanors, just mere slaps on the wrist, especially since we now know that they went down to cell and to the hospital and called everyone there. Uh, so anyway, let's move on to the next topic of 
make sense because if she can, if he didn't shoot her, who did? Who did? And why would she be lying? And how was he found guilty? And by the way, he pretty much admitted to it. Okay, he pretty much admitted to it. They read his, he gave a statement in court. And in the statement, he specifically said that if he could change the events that happened that night, he would go back and change it. And that one of the people, uh, the victim, was somebody whom he still cares about. And that he accepts all accountability for his actions. Sounds like he did it. Sounds like he was admitting to it all of a sudden because he's already got symptoms now that they're losing. The whole time he and his attorneys were acting like he didn't do anything and all of that, but clearly he did. Sarah said Kelsey shot her. Well, here's the thing. If y'all are stupid enough to think, because that's what it is, it's stupidity, point blank period. If y'all are stupid enough to think that someone would allow someone who shot them to get away with it and then to go and lie on someone else, like, please make that make sense. Please make that with Okay, let me ask you all this. I want somebody to come on here. Let me drop this link. For all of y'all saying that the woman shot her, why would Kelsey shoot her? Wasn't that her best friend at the time? And if Kelsey shot her, where's you all's proof? Let me drop the link. Anybody got proof and receipts? I'm not just going to go by what you said because the courtroom, the jurors saw all of the evidence and they concluded that Tory Lanez did it. Tory Lanez did it. I knew he did it too, softly look. Okay, I knew he did it. So if y'all want to debate me and say that a female did it, that Tory Lanez didn't do it, bring your receipts. Don't just get on here with your feelings and talk about what you think, because some of y'all are not smarter than a fifth grader. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. Don't be mad at me. Okay? The end of the day, it is what it is. Tory Lanez did it. And if he didn't do it, then why or oh why did he say that he would go back and change the events of that night if he could? Uh, I'm sorry. Make it all make sense. All right, he pretty much admitted to it. Like I said, y'all sit down somewhere. Some of y'all just engage in celebrity worship. No matter what a celebrity does that you like, you don't want to believe it. That's just insidiously obtuse. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Tory Lanez is guilty. All right, and whether you think he did it or not, he's still going to prison for 10 years, so you can sit down somewhere, uh, go cry somewhere else. Uh, Alexa, uh, play Cry Me a River by Justin Timberlake. Okay. How about that? Now, let me read from this article that gives all the salacious details. Y'all need to sit down somewhere. Some of y'all are just living in fantasy land, honey. You all think that things are not true just because you don't want them to be true. Anybody saying that Tory Lanez didn't shoot me and drop your receipts? Click that link and drop those receipts. I bet you don't have any. The court documents are public, including Kelsey's testimony. Exactly. Exactly. Everything is public. Okay? And if I didn't do it, there's no way I'd be standing in the courtroom talking about if I could go back and, and that night and change the events, I would do it. I take all accountability. Why would you take all accountability if you didn't do anything? So please sit down somewhere. Yes, he did it. He absolutely did it. Period. Point blank. Now, here's what they say. Tory Lanez, the man convicted of shooting rapper Megan Thee Stallion in 2020, was sentenced on Tuesday to 10 years in prison, according to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. Now, in December of last year, a Los Angeles County a Los Angeles jury found Lanez guilty of three charges related to the July 2020 shooting incident, uh, where fellow rapper Megan Thee Stallion was shot in the Hollywood Hills. Now, Lanez pleaded, uh, pleaded not guilty to assault, 
semi-automatic firearm, carried a loaded, unregistered firearm in a vehicle, and discharged a firearm with gross negligence, according to prosecutors. Now, Stanton accused Lanes of shooting her in the foot after she exited the vehicle uh, when, when they had been riding following the arguments. And so at a press conference following the sentencing on Tuesday, L.A. County District Attorney Greg Gascon, Gascon explained how Lanes attempted to silence Stanton after she accused him of the shooting in 2020. They said over the past three years, Lanes has engaged in a pattern of conduct uh, that was intended to intimidate Stanton, silence her, and keep her from defending and bringing out the truth. Now, despite the physical violence, verbal attacks, and attempts to publicly humiliate Stanton, uh, she remained strong and shared the events of that fateful night with the jury and the world. Stanton's position as a popular entertainer has brought a spotlight on the important issue of violence against women. Now, there are many people in our community that endure acts of violence every day from people close to them and feel reluctant to come forward when this happens. I hope that Stallion's bravery gives hope to those that feel helpless. <coughs> so, anyway, they say Lane's attorney, Jose Baez, uh, also asked the news conference, asked at the news, uh, spoke at the news conference, calling his client's sentence incredibly harsh. Okay? And so let's go to the footage. Let's just go to the footage of what his attorneys had said. Because here's the thing. His attorneys, to me, you know, they were just doing the most. Sitting there asking, can he get probation? No, he can't get probation. Because first of all, here's why. He shouldn't be allowed to get probation. That would have been nice. But first of all, he didn't accept any accountability. Okay? He never admitted to it. Okay? He kept lying the whole time. And then another thing, he was engaging all that nefarious behavior, trying to do intimidation and all of that. And let's not forget that Kelsey said that he offered her money and that he was going to pay for her apartment or something. Do you all remember that? Now, I'm sorry. Who? What innocent person is going to be trying to offer money, okay, and pay the bills of a, of a, a person that was there as a witness? Who's going to be doing that unless they're guilty? Y'all. <laughs> Some of y'all. I don't know what's wrong with you. But anyway, y'all just don't like the truth. Yes, right. Amar said he taunted her. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Queen Sam said, damn, they shot that woman's face. <laughs> oh, Queen Sam said, damn, they shot that woman's pinky so off. <laughs> Queen said, let's not forget he's short. Okay, does he have short day comments? <laughs> Y'all are something else. Hold on, let me see if I can find his attorney. Let me see. Y'all are something else. Now, here's the thing. Um, Tory Lane has, uh, I think he has 30 days, for, no, 60 days to file his appeal. Okay? Now, he did try to appeal. He did file an appeal to get a new trial, but the judge dismissed it. So he has 30 days to file for uh, an appeal for the sentence. Let me see if this is it. Likes up, everyone, please like and share. Let me see if this is where his attorney's speaking. Okay, yeah, let's go to this one. Let's go to this one. They're showing some footage. I don't know if they're going to have his lawyer speaking. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't say anything about it. Exactly. That happens often. And they likely put him under under one because he was talking too much, going to the blogs, and supposedly telling them to print things about Lady that weren't true. 20. Jermaine Gorman joins us with the latest on that. 
point today. You guys, good morning. The social commentary around this case has been astounding, really polarizing rhetoric over believing victims and protecting black women and backlash against Megan Thee Stallion, even though she didn't press charges against Tory Lanez. And when the Los Angeles DA brought the charges, the rapper rejected a plea deal, instead taking the case to trial, now learning his sentence. This morning, after being found guilty of shooting Grammy Award-winning artist Megan Thee Stallion, judge <laughs> sentencing rapper Tori Lanez in prison and seeing the trauma she's undergone in the last three years, and I believed on her behalf. The sentence marking the end of the high-profile trial that hit the two former friends and their fans against each other. Is continually trending on social media, contending with disinformation and disbelief over whether Meg Thee Stallion, whose real name is Megan Pete, was actually shot. Violence against black women and girls is a long 